Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 196. Recording this 3 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. Happy seventh birthday to my son, Atticus. Happy birthday, Atticus. I know he's an avid listener. No, he never listens to it at all. Um, I'm your host, Terry. We've got Todd. We've got Zach. Uh, Zach, most you're, you're listeners, full of stuff. Most of our today. listeners are at the intellectual level of a, of a seven-year-old or maturity level of a seven-year-old. So I mean, fit in with our that. demographic. It's not, it's not a, that's not a bad take. It's not a bad take. How are we yeah. doing? Oh, I'm, I'm really pissed off because, uh, I lost, oh, I, well, our, we're just going to get into our degenerate rant here. Go for I, it. I put a bunch of money today on what I thought was a tease that was for sure going to hit. I went with the giants, uh, giving two and a half points to the Jaguars hit that, but foolishly parlayed it with the Falcons over 20 and a half points. Who the hell gives up three, no, sorry, five third down conversions on that last drive to prevent them from getting the garbage time touchdown? Come on, Atlanta defense. Come on, man. It's my Stephen A impression. Well, I've got a parlay that's still live. We'll see how much longer it's still live. But yeah, I took Giants money line. Oh, they were going to win that game. Yeah. And then, Why, and they, I, I parlayed it. Three in that? That's bullshit. Yeah. I parlayed it with, um, with, Jets minus one and a half at Denver and uh, and Chiefs like minus the public was on that. That was the, the, the smart betters were on that early. Yeah. And then I got the Chiefs minus. I don't what was it? Two maybe on uh, on San Francisco. So, yeah, we'll I hate to say I hate to say the Chiefs are not very good, nor are the 49ers. I feel like the team America's team is the Seattle Seahawks and. You know, I don't know what the score is of that game right now, but I, I 24, 14 at halftime, I would have loved to put money on that Seahawks money line. That was, that was appealing all week, but they are Seattle is an evil franchise and I've lost a lot of money on them in the past. So I guess in a way, I'm glad I didn't bet on them, but they're America's team Seahawks giants, NFC championship game. I'm, I'm there for it. Danny dimes, Geno Smith. That would be beautiful. It's really funny listening to the the broadcast of the Seahawks game right now with Mark Sanchez, you know, Pete Carroll's former USC quarterback and uh, Geno Smith's former teammate at with the Jets. Yeah, he just keeps saying, he just keeps saying, I never knew Geno could do this. Geno was never able to do that. <laughs> You guys are like legitimately good though. Like I watched this 49ers team, they're kind of garbage. Like the Rams obviously, their season's over and the Cardinals are the Cardinals. You guys are going to win that division. You're going to be like 9 and 8, but you're going to win that division. It's going to be like the it's like going to be the beast run uh, uh season when you were like 7 and 9 and made the playoffs. You you guys are the best team in that division. I'll take it. I'll take it. Todd, do you have any uh any yeah, degenerate updates Todd, for us? Uh, up, update us. Elaborate. Uh, I mean, well, yesterday I, I lost most of my stuff, and my big bet was Boise State plus three and a half at Air Force. That hit, and they, they won outright. There was no sweat there, but 
I missed a couple of parlays. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And a teaser too today. That was that was stupid because of the Bucks. I, I had a thirteen point teaser and the Bucks still couldn't cover that shit. They they lost it still by twenty points. Yeah, that was a little nuts. Can you tell us about your tattoo and Karen's birthday? <laughs> oh yeah, my tattoo. This is I stamped myself with the Lincoln Park logo. It is nice. uh, It's a. Uh, it is legit. It's a little swollen right now, but uh, I love the way it turned out. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm all in on Lincoln Park. Obviously, it was almost five years to the day that I was going to see them in concert, uh, so which didn't happen. I wrote are the you, article earlier this year, and then I, I got got the tattoo. Are you one of the, like the eight people in the world that are excited for the Blink 182 reunion? I think you are, right? I have. I was I have actually to talking that. to the my tattoo artist about Blink 182 yesterday. That was. Uh, he, he he said he had seen them in concert in like 1998 or something. I don't know. I'm I don't know. I've been, I've been listening to Blink 182 in a long time, but sure, I'll be excited about that. Okay, and updates from Karen's party. How was that? Uh it was. I mean, it was. It was. It was what it was. My sister made a really awesome almond ice cream cake. So Ooh. that was pretty much the highlight. Amazing, amazing. Be- opted for Karen's party and the tattoo over Tar, a bold move, but one that I guess I can commend in some way. Oh, I am bold, so it would be a bold move. Um, but <laughs> yeah, a yes. bold, bold move and a bold move, <laughs> double entendre. Uh, I'll see Tar when it comes to the theater, like you know, a minute away next week. There we go. Well, let's uh, let's get into the Zach. What are you drinking? I'm drinking some fabulous Cote de Rhone from France, uh, actually from Trader Joe's by way of France, and uh, it's pretty delicious. Nice, nice. Todd? I'm keeping it simple. I have uh, I have beer. This is a Tecate Alta Cerveza Suprema. So it's light. It's easy. We have respect for that. That's a nice, that's a nice stein you got there. I've got this is at a Deschutes brewery. It's uh their Twilight limited release. Yeah, that's pretty good. Where is the camera? There it is. Ta-da. Actually in a bottle. It's rare that I'd have beer out of a bottle these days, but it's in a bottle. All right. Well, let's get into what we've been watching, and we are going to start with Zach. All right. So this was a goofy week. You know, all of our seven listeners know that. Uh, there was not a lot that came out to theaters. There were some internal debates on this show behind the scenes about what to watch. One of our options was the big hit of the weekend, Ticket to Paradise, and I did it. I saw it. I went to <laughs> Ticket to Paradise. I have to admit, I mean, it was getting decent reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It did sink a little bit when it actually, when actual reviewers watched it instead of the bullshit studio critics, but uh, I did go see Ticket to Paradise the new uh, rom-com with uh, the king and queen of rom-coms from the 90s, George Clooney and uh, Julia Roberts. And they play it. Well, you've seen the trailer, so I don't really need to repeat the plot, but they play David and Georgia, who are a long divorced couple. I think they've seen that Pierce Brosnan and Julianne Moore movie too many times where they actually are also divorced and they hate each other, but they're kind of living out that movie in real life. And uh, their daughter is getting married in Bali, I believe. And so they have to rescue her from getting married in a plot that eerily resembles my best friend's wedding. There's no side gay character played by Rupert Everett, but Julia Roberts does have a romance with a pilot 
uh, played by the uh, guy on uh, Emily in Paris. I'm embarrassed that I even know that. Um, I'm looking for his name. Lucas Bravo. That sounds like a real name. And uh, yeah, George Clooney doesn't have any romances in the movie, but I think him and the daughter may have, the daughter's friend may have something going on. I'm not really sure. Anyway, this was a barrel of laughs. You know, all the moms were there. It was like the Mila Kunis moms movie experience at a movie theater. I'm enjoying it. Uh, my wife and I were the youngest people there by at least 30 years, it seemed like. And we were the only people who weren't intoxicated off margaritas. Um, listen, it's not freaking, you know, Stanley Kubrick. It's not tar, okay? Uh, but it is what it is. And it's proud to be what it is. Proud to be a woman. The woman I always was. I'm sorry, that was last week's episode, Emily Kimberly. Uh, but this is um, a pretty bad movie, uh, I, I have to say. Uh, it, it had a few chuckles here and there. Um, gosh, what can I say about it? I don't know. A little more Julia Roberts. It needed a little less Clooney. Um, there's a little bit of a cultural appropriation thing going on. It seems like, you know, they're in this Bali Island, whatever. And yet the movie only fixates on the white characters. That was a little obnoxious and it was at least 30 minutes too long. It needed some sharpness. It also needed more alcohol and it needed characters who were miserable, you know, like, um, Julia Roberts was in my best friend's wedding. Uh, so a, a tepid two-star uh, review for Ticket in Paradise. It's pretty much exactly what you think it is. Now, here's the real question, okay? I saw Tar yesterday. Do you want me to say what I thought of it? I, I'm not going to actually say what I thought of it, but can I say the star rating I gave it? And you can cover your ears if you want. Sure. I mean, you could review it if you want to. I don't want to review it because we need to talk about it. There's a lot to unpack there. You can cover your ears, America, if you want. Here it goes. Four stars, my number one movie of the year. Bam! That's how you do it, Todd Field. Bam! Todd Field, back! It's like that scene in The Hangover. The champ still has it. The champ still has it, man. 16 years, mm, he's still pulling punches. Oh, He's awesome. I love Todd Field. And we'll talk about it next week. I would be shocked if you guys didn't love this movie, too. See it, America. It's, it's wow. 16 years, it was worth the wait. That's all I'll say. All I'll say. All right, there we go. At least something got a glowing recommendation in that in that rant yes. and ramble. Sorry, <laughs> it's all good. It's coming in hot. Coming in hot. Top liar, watch. liar, liar. Uh, so I went and watched a movie by a direct by a director that I love that I hadn't seen this one yet. It is called Reality, which is the 2015 movie by Quentin Dupieux, who is the, the director wow. of Rubber, of course. Our one of our favorites. Uh, so he stars this guy, Alain Shabbat. He plays Jason, and he's a camera operator. And he has this great idea for a movie. So And he tries to sell his idea to the studio. And his idea, he, he agrees with that. His idea is really good. But he needs, like, the perfect groan to go with the hook scene of it. So he, the Bob, the guy at the studio, agrees to finance the movie if in the next 48 hours he can find the world's greatest groan. Uh, which makes Jason's world sort of start to break down and lose his grip on reality. There's also this other story with a little girl named Reality, played by Ke uh, Kyla Kennedy, and she finds a mysterious blue VHS tape in completely intact that came out of the stomach of a hog. Um, yeah, they, it's a Quentin Dupieux movie. It's delightfully random and and, and bizarre. Um, yeah, he, Quentin Dupieux is my guy. Maybe not as much as Riley Stearns, but he is my guy. Like, wrong, wrong cops, obviously rubber. He, like, he's got it. I, I love this this guy's movies. Uh, John Heater is in this movie in, like, an actual role where he's not playing Napoleon Dynamite. It's um, 
it's really got some really awkward behind the scenes kind of stuff, but it's pretty glorious. And it hits a point maybe 20 minutes in where it's clear that nothing is making sense and is, is going to make sense. Uh, it's like blurring reality and dreams and like something else. It's a little like David Lynchian in a way. Um, it has a lot of ideas. Um, and it, it's mind bending and strange in the way that only Depew could pull off. I was all in. It's a, it's an offbeat riot of a movie and it's a, uh, it isn't one of his absolute banner movies, but it's absolutely worth it. It's a it's a easy three star movie. Everything he makes is worth worth going to see. So, who would win in a fist fight between Quentin Depew and the guy that directed Holy Motors and Annette? <laughs> Leo's Carax. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't even know what either of them look like. So, I'm going to guess Depew would probably. Have some misdirection and win. I'm going with Kerox because Depew would come out with like the rubber and Kerox would come out with talking cars. And I think the talking cars would run over the rubber. Yeah. I love the post. I love the poster to this movie too. It's, it's a real winner. It's got, for those of you who can't see it, it's got uh, uh, Alan Shabbat, I'm guessing the main actor. And then a bunch of what looks like mannequins without heads or excuse me, without faces. They have heads, but no faces. Yeah. That's the scene where he's um, watching or not watching his movie uh, with a bunch of anonymous faces. Yeah. It's a, it's something you got to see it. It definitely, there is a lot of Lynchy and things like that. That just looks like a David Lynch shot right there. Mullen drive style. Do you think John Hader thought like this was part of the comeback was doing a Quentin Depew movie? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, could, well, the Depew's had, uh, last year had, um, had, um, the guy from the artist in it. Uh, like I can't remember. His Dujardin. Name. Dujardin. Yeah. Like, I mean, Abby award winner. And I think, uh, but Adele Alexa Shoplos is in it too. Like he's he's got some interesting actors that come be in his movies. Whether I mean this one's like half in English, half not. So I, I think he could make a really great English language comedy at some point. But I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm surprised John Hader doesn't come up more on our recastings. Like on our recasting of Liar Liar, he couldn't have been someone in that movie. He's not necessarily what you would call versatile. <laughs> well, I mean, he could have easily that's played Jerry Ellis's role. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I was thinking, Jerry. That's true. All right, moving on to me. All right, I didn't get a chance to watch much this week. It was a weird week. Uh, I I didn't get to watch our featured review movie. I didn't get to watch the movie I was assigned for trivia. I'll try and watch them this week and report on them next week. Um, but there are two things I'm going to talk about here. One, I did squeeze in my anniversary watch this week uh and it it, it's a good thing i did because it's a good one it's it's a favorite of zach's for sure uh it is the foreign film winner from 20 years ago from 2002 oh there we go now we're talking good good pick terry i believe it's number 69 on my all-time list or is it somewhere (laughs) around 69 probably it's not that we know what that it's 41 on your list Oh wow! Uh, okay, yeah. Than nowhere, married. nowhere in Africa. Uh, written and directed by Caroline Link. Uh, this is uh, telling the story of a uh, German Jewish family who escapes uh, Nazi Germany in the 1930s and lives in Kenya throughout the entirety of World War II. Uh, it stars. Uh, 
Oh, I'm going to, this is horrible. Julianne Kohler as Yetel, Merab Nanitsi as Walter. And Sadide Onayulu. Yes, Sadide Onayulu as Owar, I think is how you say his name. And then you had uh, Leah Kirka and Caroline Akertz uh, as Regina in different uh, stages of her life. Uh, this is a fascinating movie. It is a really cool movie. It um, it sounds like a simple plot that wouldn't necessarily be that engaging, but it is. Uh, you the movie starts with uh, you, you get um, Yetel the wife feeling almost as uh, almost as uh, prejudiced as some of the people that she's running from towards the people who are trying to save her in Kenya and to the point where she uh, eventually finds a home there and never wants to leave. Uh, the A lot of it is seen through the eyes of the daughter Regina and uh, amazing performances by both actresses. However, I think the younger one is, is much better and much stronger than the older one. Uh, I'm giving it three and a half stars. It was a fascinating movie. It was a, it was a wonderful watch, really engaging uh, and, uh, and really, really strong. Uh, really strong movie. Yeah. Well, okay. Now 41 is maybe a little high. I don't know what I was smoking that day, but it is a really great movie for a number of reasons. First of all, one of the things I love about the movie is that you really get a great glimpse of those three characters. Like you can kind mm-hmm. of understand how each of them has their own struggles. And you can also understand like all of their, <laughs> all of their sides to the issue. Right. When uh, the mother arrives uh, with the daughter in um, Kenya, th- th- these are not happy married people. I mean, they, they hug and kiss when they first meet again, but their relationship is super strained and she's super pissed. Mm-hmm. She brings a dress instead of a refrigerator. I mean, that's pretty freaking annoying. Uh, but uh, I love how the movie shows them as outsiders, as whites, as Jews, and as people not originally from Kenya. Uh, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, it, 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 I think has a, a, a lot to say about marriage has a lot to say about, um, overcoming adversity in a new environment. I mean, these people lived there for, I think 13 years and especially the mother character, who I think is the most interesting character in the movie goes through a lot of development. She becomes, mm-hmm. she's the, at first the most resistant and the most skeptical about their life in Kenya. And by the end of the movie, she's the one that doesn't want to leave. And I love the last scene in that movie. The last scene in that movie is, is beautiful. It's very touching. And uh, I don't know why this movie doesn't get more praise. It, it's an absolute um, uh, banger of a movie. And it's uh, really, really great. Yeah, it was it was it was really good. I you're right about the the wife and the, the wife slash mother. She's she has the most character development for sure. And she's um, got like borderline, you know, flirtation with this neighbor guy. And mm-hmm. then you get this wonderful relationship between the daughter and and the the uh, basically he's kind of like a housekeeper there uh, the war yeah, the, uh, the, co- the cook excuse me um, it's it's a really aw- awesome movie and uh, it's 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 a crowd pleaser is I think how it was billed and uh, it's not a movie it's one of those movies that you know you listen to Bong Joon Ho the subtitles don't get in the way like any everybody should watch this movie great movie if you're not into foreign movies yep. So that's one thing I watched this week. I want to report on one other thing that I watched this week because uh, we have uh, we have season pa- uh, season tickets to uh, the the touring Broadway shows that come through come through town throughout the year, 
and the new season started this week. And of course, like I said at the at the top, today is my son Atticus's birthday. So it only made sense that last night for the opening of this season, we went and saw Aaron Sorkin's adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, so it it was it was pretty cool. And then you, and uh, Jeff Daniels originated the role of Atticus Finch on Broadway in this play. Uh, in the in the tour, it's played by Richard Thomas, who's a pretty solid uh, veteran actor, has been around since he was a kid playing uh, playing all sorts of different stuff. Uh, and he does an amazing job. Uh, Aaron Sorkin is the only one that could turn this into a three-hour entertaining <laughs> play. Uh, it's the first one of these shows that I've seen that isn't that wasn't a musical. It was a straight play, and it and it works. Um, I will say though, I hated the ending. Because he plays with the story and changes the story and changes how it all turns out and how you view certain characters in the end. Uh, he tries to say too much about today's culture through the through the telling of how how the court case turns out. What makes Atticus Finch such an interesting and amazing character is his virtue in that he feels that every person deserves uh dignity, empathy, and respect, whether it is the uh, the black man that is wrongfully accused of a heinous crime or the bigot that lied to get him there. Uh, they all deserve that dignity, that empathy, and respect, and it shows through everything that he does. The play says he's wrong, and the play says that hate should be responded by hate, that violence should be responded with violence, and it turns the final scene of that of that play into not being a wonderful moment of empathy, dignity, and respect for Boo Radley, but a moment of justice for the character that it, that ends up dead. That and it is, it 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 ruins the message of the entire story, and it ruins the characters. It ruins it ruins the whole thing. So I loved everything about it. But the ending just ruined the whole experience for him. It's okay. It kind of sounds like that SNL sketch where they redid the end of It's a Wonderful Life. It feels like, you know, Atticus is talking, oh, we should be nice and treat everybody. No, let's just form a mob and beat the guy who actually raped the girl. Let's go. That's kind of what it is. That's yeah. basically what, what, what happens here. And and it it totally it totally ruins the entire the entire thing. But I see how you would how I mean, it, it just it gets way too heavy handed and says more than it needs to say instead of letting it be what it was. And everything like the first half up until the first intermission was brilliant. And then as it tried to bring it home, it it screwed everything up. So I was I, I left pretty disappointed uh, by the whole thing. But amazing performances by everyone involved. It really is an amazing script. Inevitably, it will be turned into a movie. Uh, and when it does, or if you guys get a chance to see it on stage, uh, it's it's worth it because I think it's a real interesting conversation piece of how an adaptation can really change the the whole plot of the story and if it if it does it for the better or not. What about John Heater as Atticus Finch? Are we on board with that? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention up front. So the movie that's playing in the background. <laughs> Uh, might be starring an, an actor. We'll talk. We could talk about a little later. The fighter. 
Mm. It's it, a good it, one. It was random, just randomly picked, and it's it's on in the background. So there we go. All a right. rare a rare Christian Bale performance where he doesn't have a glass eye. <laughs> he did it once. He no, did he it did once. It twice. He had a glass eye in the in the in the Big Short. Oh, did he? I believe so. Didn't he? I don't remember that. Okay. Let's move on. Time for a featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And for our... It. Yeah, I can't review it, but that's okay. It'll be fine. Uh, will you it? guys, you guys will talk about it. You know, I'll, one I'll of us is gonna give week. it three and a half. One of us is gonna give it one and a half. Who's, who's gonna say who's right, Terry? <laughs> so, I, I think all of us just... We, we had weird weeks and we weren't sure how well we were going to get to theaters to see the different things or how much we really even wanted to see all the different things. Cause you had black Adam out this week you had ticket to paradise, which Zach already talked about. So we opted for an interesting looking uh, Netflix release this week called the stranger starring Joel Edgerton and Sean Harris directed and written by Thomas M. Wright. The whole operation hinges on you getting closer with it. But I know you know this. Don't find yourself in terrain that you're not familiar with. Hey, do you want me to teach you something that I learned at work? Close your eyes and you're going to breathe in. When you breathe in, you're going to imagine that you're breathing in really clear air. When you breathe out, you breathe out all the black, dark, bad air. This is the largest missing persons case in the history of our state and is one of the largest in the history of our country. At the time, detectives found insufficient evidence for him to be considered a person of interest. Body's gonna relax. Your feet, your knees, your hips, your stomach, your chest. Breathe in the clear air and out the blackness. going to start with todd on this one todd tell us all about it and what you thought okay this movie i, I believe it played at can um and yes. it's uh but now yeah it's a netflix movie it's based on a true story it starts out in the sort of strangers on a train variation kind of thing sean harris plays henry teague uh, and he meets this guy paul played by steve muzakis and they get the talking and henry's a re recently released criminal so Paul decides he's going to introduce him to his acquaintance who is looking for someone who can like get things done. And, but it happens to be this undercover cop played by Joel Edgerton. Uh, the character's name is Mark. And Mark's goal is to kind of get close enough to Henry to get him to confess to uh, something that happened about a decade earlier. 
Um, and the closer the two get to each other, the more complicated and like dangerous the sort of sting operation becomes. Sean Harris is fantastic in this. He he looks really worn down, and you never kind of you can never kind of figure out what's going on in, in his head. He's also like the perfect kind of actor for it because he's an actor you've definitely seen before, but he's still anonymous enough to make it surprising when he does things. It's a really like Joaquin Phoenix kind of role, and he's extraordinary. Um, Joel Edgerton is uh he he's great he's he's playing a mostly innocent character he but he does feel a lot of empathy and he really draws the audience in uh because he's one of the more sensitive of the two um but it really is an intimate play between these two actors like there isn't a whole lot of things that happen a lot of it's withdrawn and just showing these two actors playing sort of having like a staring contest basically uh as mark is trying to like guide this stranger through um I, I love a good undercover cop story. And this is, it's far removed from Donnie Brasco, but it, it's so much more observant than that. It, it burns really slowly. Um, it isn't easy though. There, there's no neat bow to wrap things up. It makes it unsettling and a little abrupt in the end. Uh, it's not conveniently unveiled. It makes you think that it's probably truer than you would have expected it to be. It's really elaborate and also simple and unnerving. you feel that isolation that the characters do and you're just stuck within this trap for two hours and it's a fascinating movie three and a half stars all right all right well zach you were saying there's yeah. a three and a half star review so there's uh, the tell, three and a half star review. tell us why it's a, a one and a half star movie well i'll tell you you know <laughs> going into the, it, this was an interesting tra- i'd never heard of this movie i got very close to watching the wrong stranger uh, and uh, I really didn't know anything about it. Uh, I, I didn't know anything about the plot. It's interesting to not know anything about this movie going in because the first 30 minutes really make you think it's about something that it isn't about. And I'm really glad that I didn't know anything about this movie because it was a kind of a big surprise the way that the story unfolded in a very unexpected direction. We don't really meet Joel Edgerton in this movie until about, I would say, 15, 20 minutes in. We almost think he's an afterthought when we first meet him. Um, and we don't even think the movie's about him necessarily. But then the movie makes this kind of tonal shift into being about his character and understanding his uh, background and why he's involved with this. Um, and there's no one half star review here, Terry. I am 100% agreement with Todd. This is a fascinating movie um i was pretty i was pretty gripped from start to end with this movie um one of the things i really love about it 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 is a slow burn and there's definitely some traces of donnie brasco but one of the things i like about it that i even like more than i did in donnie brasco is that the sean harris character i think in a lot of weaker movies um would have been made to be this kind of cutesy almost quirky, almost like Mark Rylance in uh, the movie that he won an Oscar for, the Spielberg movie. Like they would make him... Bridges Spies, right. They would make him into this kind of like, you know, almost cheerfully quaint, you know, and then Pacino kind of doing the whole like sentimental schlup thing in in Donnie Brasco. Sean Harris doesn't do that at all in this movie. This guy is not an open book by any means, but he's a little bit of of a loser and you sort of wonder at a certain point, like how he continues to go along with this, either he's extremely naive or he's just, um, you know, an idiot. Uh, but it is based on a true story. So it, it actually happened. Um, and J- Sean Harris doesn't wink at the camera. He looks grimy. He looks dingy. Um, and he's really guarded. And we don't quite know. We think we know what his character is presenting, but we're not entirely sure. 
Um, there are times, in this, there's one time in this movie where Sean Harris reaches over in the car and grabs Joel Edgerton. And I almost jumped watching it. Like that was a, and I was almost surprised that I was that invested in the story because it's not really a movie with big explosions. It's not really a movie with um, a lot of characters or it's, and, and once you kind of get past the 30 minutes, you can kind of see where the movie's going. Um, but it's it's the kind of movie I love because it's so much about the characters and the, the the dynamic in their relationship, which is really complex. But they can't say what they're feeling because particularly with the Joel Edgerton character, uh, he has this alternate motive that he can't let Sean Harris know about. And there's a little bit of the departed in this movie in the sense of like, you know, how how much invested is Joel Edgerton? How much is he just posturing? Is he, you know, uh, how much is, is this really affecting him mentally? Kind of like the Leo character in The Departed. There's a lot of scenes of this movie where Joel Edgerton kind of shows his trauma going through this experience as as basically an undercover cop and, and how, um, you know, grating it is on his conscience and particularly in his relationship with his young son. There's a really nice, nice no, uh, excuse me, nice motif in this movie of breathing and uh, uh, having uh, what's I'm sorry inhalers and uh, I'm totally blanking on the word. You know, um, uh, what's it called, Todd? You know, like uh, uh, asthma. I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. Oh. Um, yeah. Three and a half stars for this movie. This is uh, really solid entertainment. It's it's it, it is the kind of adult complex. Uh, nuanced movie that American studios have been really reluctant to make for a long time. And I'm glad Netflix picked it up. I'm glad that it's getting a release, but it's, it's really solid. I I'm glad we chose it. I'm sad Terry didn't watch it, but I'm in agreement with almost everything you said, Todd. Awesome movie. Yeah. I was thinking this would be a, this seemed like an easy sell for all three of us. So like, yeah. I, if you would have given it a thumbs down, I would have questioned. A few things, so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you and you, and what's nice about this movie is like, okay, I will admit, I watched it with subtitles. There's a little bit. I, I found the, some of the accents to be a little rough in this movie, and I have to say, like, like I said earlier, I I didn't understand much, most of the th first thirty minutes. I thought I didn't know where this movie was going, but what a what a, how refreshing that is. Like so many movies, you can kind of just predict where they're going. This movie, you really don't know, and it's kind of refreshing and and almost like really uncomfortable at times too and um just great performances and joel edgerton is awesome in almost everything he's in um and i think sean harris at this point would win my best supporting actor for 2022 he's it blew me away in this movie isn't he i would say he's the lead no i well i would i would put well, they have probably equal screen time probably close to it but i think edgerton's the the, the main character in the movie even though he doesn't make an appearance for a while but I guess it's a close call, but both of them are really, really solid performances in the movie. It's rare you get one of these Netflix movies that none of us have heard of that actually turns out to be a great movie. And and also, I mean, it's rare that I mean this one started at Cannes, and then and then uh, turned into one of these Netflix movies no one's ever heard of. So uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you guys liked it. I'll try and watch it this week so I can report on it so we can say it's thrice approved next week. Yeah, you, you kind of go into this movie thinking it's it's one thing. You think it's you know about a murder and there's there's definitely some like you know almost CSI type scenes in this movie where they're talking about forensic evidence and windows and when the killer might have shown up. But you leave this movie knowing that it's a character study about two men who have some serious skeletons in the closet and can never really open up to each other. And I think that's like 
It's funny that we reviewed Donnie Brasco because I think this movie's better than Donnie Brasco. They're di they're different movies, obviously, but they're kind of doing a similar thing about how you have to get close to someone but remain guarded enough to make sure that the mission is complete. I, I really dug this movie. It was awesome. Good pick by you, Todd. Probably better than that shitty Rodrigo Garcia movie. I'm sure. <laughs> well, one of us is going to have to see it. What was that one called again? I forget. Maxine and Max? No. No. It's uh, Malcolm and Marie? No. <laughs> I don't know. I've I've never been able to remember. I've been Raymond trying to remember Ray. that. Raymond Ray, 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 yeah, and Ray. Raymond. <laughs> I feel like isn't that that isn't that the same name as the puppet movie that you watched this year, Terry? Uh, no, that was Brian and Charles. Okay, Brian and Charles. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you guys liked it. I'm 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 really looking forward to this now. So you I'll picked have the wrong to... week to skip, man. This was actually a really good movie. Yeah, I I was. I was busy nonstop from like Tuesday morning till 11 o'clock this morning. So the fact that I was able to sneak in one movie was, was impressive. So, all right. Well, that is our featured review moving on from that kind of an honor of that a little bit. We'll move into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And Todd, I think this is your idea. So I'll, I'll let you introduce it. Uh, so, yeah, the the stranger was a movie by Tom Wright. I don't know who that guy is, but I think he's Australian. But the movie is definitely Australian. So I said we should do a Mount Rushmore of movies that are, I mean, that were originated in Australia. I guess I'm not, or by Australian directors. I'm not sure how we're actually going to define this, but yeah, it's it, a it's a it's not the biggest selection of movies, but there also are just a ton of these movies. And if you were confused watching The Stranger, if you, that the, if you didn't know this movie was set in Australia, for one thing, they drive uh, the passenger is the driver in the car on the driver's seat, and they always say, "Mate, mate, come back, mate, mate." I wonder if they did that on purpose, but or if that's really the way people in Australia talk. It probably is how they do. Talk. People like you know you don't know, see what I'm talking about Todd. Like when he's looking for his son, he literally says, "Mate." Mate, do people really is that do Australians really call their children mate? It's like Probably. yelling it into the dark. <laughs> so so the writer director was born in Melbourne. So yes, he he is Australian. All, All right. right. All right, mate. So we're 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 gonna do this. We're gonna do Mount Rushmore of Australian films. And yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering too. Is it is it movies set in Australia? Is it Australian directors, Australian film companies. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll kind of do we want to put any parameters on it or do we just want to go for it? I not said we'd go for it. Not movies set in Australia. What is it? It's not amateur hour here. Okay. We we actually watch films here on the Almost Sideways podcast. So we are not gonna put some bullshit Baz Lerman, you know, Australia with Nicole Kidman on our list, right? I mean, we're we're legit here. But You're does authentic. but but that that's a great example. Does any Baz Luhrmann movie count because Baz Luhrmann is Australian? Unless it's strictly ballroom, I would say no. I think that's bullshit. Moulin Rouge I, is not I an Australian needs, movie. I think Lord it needs Elvis. to be credited as being Australia on IMDb, as being the country of origin. That's the way I was looking at it. Credited as Australia being the country of origin. Okay, all right. Well, uh, Zach, you're going to start us with this then. What's okay, your submission. 
Now, it's interesting that there was a time in my life when my answer would have been very obvious to this question. I, first of all, I'm a big Australian cinema fan. I, I thoroughly enjoy their movies and their driving with the passenger driving. And uh, so I would have put Walkabout as my number one. For a long time, that was a movie in my top 100, and I really enjoyed it. It's it's not as high for me as it used to be. Um you know, and I could go into the reasons about it. I just, uh, it's a little bit problematic. It's a little, I think it's a little like unintentionally racist at times. It's just, it, you know, it's got great cinematography and a great score by John Barry, but it's no longer my number one. So my number one Australian movie does come from the same era though. And I believe it was my, also my number one um, holiday movie. And that is Picnic at Hanging Rock, uh, which is a movie directed by Peter Weir, who later came to the United States and made such memorable movies like Master and Commander and The Truman Show. And this is a movie that's based allegedly on a true story about uh, a girls' school in the year 1900. And um, I believe the holiday I said was St. Valentine's Day. It's not totally, you know, the most important part of the movie. But these girls go on a sojourn kind of into the brush. That's what they say in Australia. And uh, a bunch of them go up on a rock. Apparently, they never saw the movie Jerry because that's a bad idea to walk up on, on rocks and they disappear and what's cool about the movie is you know an american movie would have made this you know a big oh let's call up the police let's would have made actually it's really what they probably would have done with the stranger too they would have made it like very heavy-handed and silly in a police investigation picnic at hang walk is a lot more abstract uh it's a lot more about the kind of victorian mores of 1900 australia um there are search parties that are sent out to look for the girls but and actually, it's sort of funny because I know Terry just reviewed The Sweet Hereafter. It's also kind of like that movie in the sense that it isn't about the tragedy. It isn't about the disappearance. It's about the people who are searching for the girls and basically, again, the skeletons in their closet and how the society kind of unravels because of this incident. It kind of exposes things that were already there. So I think this is a classic of Australian cinema because it's very much you know set in that country and uh it's you know peter weir's kind of coming out movie and uh it's 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 really awesome i would i encourage everybody to see it awesome soundtrack uh really really cool movie one of the definitive um international movies from the 1970s in my opinion that is not one that i have seen neither have i really it's on the criterion collection you guys should definitely watch it really really awesome movie all right uh Sounds good. Well, I mean, Peter Weird, that, that's a that's a good direction to go. All right, I'll go next. Uh, all right, so according to Todd's criteria of Australia being listed as a country of origin, Moulin Rouge counts because Baz Luhrmann movies have Australia listed as a country of origin. But I'm not going to go there because I agree. I don't feel like that's an Australian movie. Um, I, I've, I'm realizing just how few Australian movies I've seen looking at... Uh, looking at some lists and some what's listed as an Australian movie. But I I have to go with something that I feel like if you're going to talk about Australia and Australia in film, you can't have this conversation without talking about Crocodile Dundee. I saw that coming. Yeah. It's <laughs> Oscar nominated. I think you could, but... <laughs> you have to talk about Crocodile Dundee, and I feel like it... Uh, I, or, I could go with Crocodile Dundee 2 instead because that one is actually mostly mostly set in the outback and it actually goes to Australia for the second half of the movie. Uh, but it, it 
the especially the first two movies are hilarious. They're really funny movies. They're really engaging movies. Paul Hogan is a is is a really great character playing this guy. This guy Mick uh, Mick Dundee. Uh, yeah, I love them. And my favorite little random fact is that uh, Crocodile Dundee three, like in Hollywood or whatever it's called, was Los written Angeles. by or in Los Angeles. Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles was written by fantasy football expert Matthew Barry. Wow. Now, yep. does he like cross-dressing comedies, too? I, <laughs> we have information about that. I don't know. But I, yeah, I, I heard him interviewed one time about it, and he said uh, like there was like this writing contest for, for Crocodile Dundee 3, and he and, his, he and a buddy were pitched something and said basically they understood what Crocodile Dundee actually was. Paul Hogan was a sketch comic and like set up different scenarios and let him play with it and react. And he said, okay, here's our, here's our pitch. He's in LA and we put him in situations and he reacts to it. And they're like, we love it. Write the script. And they went, holy crap. We've never written a, written a script before. How do we do this? And then they wrote Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. So anyways, I'm going Crocodile Dundee. I think, I think a oh, lot of people in Australia are putting their fists to their, palms and i feel like that's the movie that is pigeon that's the what that's that's what the re, the world thinks of australian cinema oscar nominated screenplay right oscar nominated screenplay and the director of my best friend's wedding paul hogan as the star wait he changed careers he went from crocodile dundee to directing no it's a different paul hogan i get it. all right we're moving on all right bad todd, joke todd tell us about animal kingdom yeah animal kingdom is a top 100 <laughs> movie of all time one of the best movies of the 2010s it's um yeah i mean to me this is a the pinnacle of australian cinema david michaud is the director it's about the crime family in uh in australia it's starring every great australian actor guy pierce joel edgerton jackie weaver ben mendelson it's it's a it's a special movie it's a deeply uh disturbing movie and uh and dark but it is really really good and yeah it's one of the best movies ever. So, and it's definitely the best movie ever set in Australia. Yep. Well, that was a shocker. How does oh. the t- how does the TV show compare? Would you say it's the best Australian TV show? Well, the the TV show is set in California. It's I don't know. It's a good it's a good adaptation, but it's it's different. It's more Point Break than it is like the like a mob show. So, but the yeah. I mean, you haven't seen Animal Kingdom, have you, Zach? I've never seen Animal... No, I've not. Why did I assign you that? What the... <laughs> right, whatever. <laughs> um, I mean, Wall I Street's pretty great, so, you know. But Animal Kingdom, I mean, come on. It's... Well, I don't I don't know if we even can come to a like a, an agreement on another one, because I don't know that we've seen another one except for maybe Mad Max Fury Road, and Terry's not a fan. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I was trying to think of what else we could come up with. Well, yeah, because we have to go with our our fourth pick, right? Yep. Well, I think actually, I thought the default was going to be Babe. I, I was going to say I keep seeing Babe listed as a as a as an Australian movie in different lists. Is it really? Yeah. I feel like I've always associated Babe with Australia, even though I'm not sure the director was Australian. James Cromwell is definitely not Australian, but it seems like it takes place in Australia. 
Here, can I list? I, I had a couple others that I yeah, I wrote go for it. Um, well, okay, Shine would be another one. I know Todd's not. A yeah, fan, I've seen Shine. I really like Shine. It's and again, that's you know, it's populist, it's Academy Award winning, but it's it's pr probably one of the better known Australian films. Um, I also wrote down Rabbit Proof Fence, which I feel like randomly would be a Terry Milestone Oscar movie. Did you watch that this year, Terry, or is that? I did not watch okay. it this year. I'm I'm shocked. All right, I also went with. Um, Bad Boy Bubby, which on one of our first uh, podcasts I actually reviewed, really awesome exploitation, uh, weird uh, underground uh, Australian movie. Um, I also went with The Proposition, great Australian Western. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Sweetie, Jane Campion's film, uh, even though she's, I believe, from New Zealand. And then a recent Australian movie that I really dug, and I'm not going to say it's the best Australian movie, but certainly one of the best ones from recent years is a movie called The Nightingale. It's directed by the same director as The Babadook, and it's about this woman in, I think, 19th century Tasmania, um, which is just run amok with criminals, and her husband gets brutally beat, and she um, and this aboriginal guy basically team up to and try to get revenge. Awesome movie. I mean, I was really, really impressed by that one. I saw it about six months ago. I gave it a solid three and a half stars, but that was a kick-ass Australian movie. Really, really enjoyed that one. I actually liked it more than The Babadook, which would be another one to maybe mention. And of course, the Paul scenes from the Up series. We could put that as our ceremonial uh, pick. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, the other ones I wrote down were uh, I, I, the proposition. Of course, it's a yeah, it's as, an awesome movie. as good of, as it gets. Uh, I'm surprised Zach didn't mention any of the Justin Kurtzell movies like Snowtown Murders and Neutrum. Those oh, are yeah, yeah. great ones. Uh, Somersault is a is a really good movie. I I remember. I it's been a while since I watched it. And Chopper is uh, the best that eric banna can do and uh, that's just a really weird movie really good though hey eric banna took one for the jews okay <laughs> it's our side already always losing it's nice to have our side win every once in a while flips it on its ear i think the only ones mentioned that i've seen are babe and shine i've seen the piano listed because of jane campion no, as well New zealand though yeah uh, and but one I will throw out there that I just have to throw out there. It's not a movie, but the little kids TV show Bluey is uh, is from well, we were, uh, is from we're talking about Australian TV shows. So maybe that could be our pick for that. Yeah. Yeah. Bluey is amazing. Uh, they play they, they play the game where you uh, you keep the balloon off the ground. They call it keepy uppy. It's pretty awesome. Um, it's worth watching. It's about a little blue dog named Bluey and his family. Okay, so what are we going with? I mean, I think we probably should go with Mad Max, but that's up to Terry. I I would understand going with Mad Max Fury Road. Sure, let's it's do the, it. It's it's def it's definitely one you could actually say is Australian. So, like, I I feel weird about saying that Babe is Australian, but it's way better than that. Uh, you know, uh, Idris Elba genie crap. Why did we review that movie? <laughs> it, it it was that was your guys' three thousand miles to Graceland, wasn't that? No, three thousand years 3, of longing. Something. Years of longing. Yeah, that was that was a real memorable movie. Oh yeah, but Mad Max Fury Road's a good pick. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that, except for Terry. Except for me, of course. But I I'm I'm willing to go with it. I understand the the significance of it. All right, moving on. Power rankings time. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. 
power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. All right. I won power rankings last time. And I, I, I had this idea. It turned out to be not as great of an idea as I was going through and trying to figure it out, but we're going with it anyways. This is uh, converted actors and directors. So this means they uh, became famous for doing something other than acting and directing and then and are now known for known for that. So the greatest converted actors slash directors. I originally said actors. Zach threw in directors. So I, I, I have a question then. So Zach, you're the one that threw in the directors. Did you were you considering that like if an actor started directing, then they would be considered a converted director? Yeah, you can, but I think you lose some credibility with that pick. That's like picking, you know, like uh you know, Crocodile Dundee for the best Australian movie. It's just a little bit, it's a little bit uh, amateur hour, if you want my honest opinion. Okay, okay. Like, okay, go with Ron Howard then, Terry. But I think there's better picks that are I, truer to the spirit of the list. I 100% agree. And I did not have Ron Howard or anyone like that on my list. I was just wondering if that's how you were taking it. Well, maybe I have someone like that, so I, can't, I should stop <laughs> talking. Okay. Sounds good. So let's get this started. Let's uh, let's start this off. Um, yeah, this was an interesting one. Uh, I think. Yeah, everyone on my list that I didn't even try to do this, but it ended up being the case. Everyone on my list was known for doing something different before they became an actor. So I tried, but that was almost impossible. I thought. It, it was it was tough, but I think I, I think I did it. I think I did it. Now, the real question is, okay, we, we do have some guidelines to stipulate with this. Like, are we talking like, you know, Channing Tatum was a male stripper? Everybody knows that before, Ma before Magic famous. Mike. No, I, I think you have to have been famous for it. Like, okay, you could look at someone and say, I knew them as this before they became an actor or a director. But, Okay. Oh, well, okay, okay. I like those guidelines a little bit more. I guess like, my other question would be, how long must they have had this other career? Or is there, is, is like, because... Long enough, enough to, to have that turn them it. into an actor or director. <laughs> but do they have to have been known before they were an actor in that yeah. other... Oh, listen, that's that's not what I did on my list. I, th I, I chose a few who were not known until they were actors, but they had other careers prior to acting, but they weren't famous. I, I looked at is. it more of, you had to be... You had to be known for the list said the list said p p actors who had careers before they were actors. It didn't specify whether were they were famous, famous for something. Who were famous, famous for doing for something? Yeah, who were famous were... for something before oh. they were actors. Well, god damn it! <laughs> we'll make it more interesting. It's my my Adam's list will definitely be interesting. Well, who knows how Adam took it? But anyways, <laughs> I think uh, it's so... I think it's like plus one ten that Adam interpreted it the same way I did. I'll stick with my list possible all right my number five uh i'm going i'm going random here and i don't really care because it's going to be awesome to talk about it uh my number five is a hall of fame nfl player that uh went on to uh act in 56 different credits on imdb uh he died in 2011 it's bubba smith yes uh most known for being uh lieutenant hightower in the police academy movies 
Um, but he was in all sorts of stuff uh, throughout the years. Um, yeah, he he was awesome in the Police Academy movies as this this like gentle giant that could snap you in half, but was also really soft spoken and really. Uh, I mean, he just wanted to be a florist, man. Uh, and uh, and he yeah, he was great for it. He he was great. And yeah, Hall of Fame NFL player, Hall of Fame NFL defensive lineman for the Indianapolis Colts or Baltimore Colts at the time. One, I think at least one Super Bowl with them. And uh yeah, then went on to become a to become a, an actor and uh star in uh one of the biggest film franchises of the eighties. So Bubba Smith, number five. Is it bad that I didn't even know he was an actor? <laughs> I knew he was a football player. I did, I'm not a police academy fan, so Yeah, I wouldn't expect you to know it then. All right. Well, now I feel bad about my O.J. Simpson pick. <laughs> I feel like that okay. ring has already been taken. Well, I mean, O.J. Simpson or Tony Siragusa, but I don't know if you would ever say Tony Siragusa is an actor for the one movie he did. Yeah, that was another struggle with this list. I mean, are we talking like, well, okay. You can't have one-offs. That's what I, I know. I, I tried to avoid that. I understand. <clears throat> All right, Todd, you're next. Uh, for my number five, I went with the best MMA star turned actor, which is uh, Gina Carano. Uh, I, I love Haywire. I think it's she gave a terrific performance in that. It's a, one of the best blending of a star and a role that uh, we've had in like the last 10, 20, 15 years. And uh, she had parlayed that. And she was in the Deadpool and the Fast and the Furious movie. And the Mandalorian, of course, is her apex, which she got fired for because she was some fake cancel culture bullshit. But now, and now she's making her own films because uh, after Disney tried to blacklist her because that's a big middle finger to them, which I appreciate. Gina Carano is a really good actor, and uh, she's number five. She definitely has a brand of her own that, like, Ronda Rousey tried to do what Gina Carano did, and it just didn't work because Ronda Rousey isn't interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was an MMA. She was in American Gladiators, I believe, back back in, back in the day. Dude, American Gladiator, nice. Yeah. All right, there we go. Zach, number five. All right. Well, my number five uh, was is my contribution to the director. Uh, it is a blank turned director, and in this case, uh, maybe it's a little incestuous. It's a cinematographer turned director, and that cinematographer worked on. Um, Terry's number 32 movie of all time. Actually, I don't know if it's 32. That movie is a little Christmas movie called Die Hard. The cinematographer of that movie went on to make such classics as Speed, Speed 2, and Twister. You know him. You love him. I'm talking about Jan de Bont. And uh, yeah, I know it's a little suspicious, but the guy was known as a cinematographer first, right? And he went on to make three of the classic, iconic movies of the 90s and some with some excellent dialogue number 20 on my all-time top 10 list uh or all-time top 100 list um i mean that's considerable you know it's higher than nowhere in africa and rachel getting married so yon debont deserves a place um looking at his imdb he hasn't made a movie since 2012 let's bring yon debont back you know he's he, he's been more active than todd field uh, but I think we need him back in the industry making shitty action movies. He should have directed that Angelina Jolie firefighter movie from last year. That would have been a perfect comeback vehicle for the cinematographer turned director, Jan de Bont. I avoided people that were involved in film completely. 
Yeah, I really just wanted to talk about Jan de Bont and say his name a few times. <laughs> Jan de Bont. It's fun. Those who wish me dead. I'm never going to remember that title either. No. Yeah, no. that's a rough one. Was that on our bland titles? No, it wasn't. And you know, it's a shitty title too because it has nothing to do with the movie. It's about a fire. How can a fire wish someone dead? A fire is not a living being, right? So the thing that the thing it reminded me of is as soon as you said those who wish me dead and it's about a fire, the other title I thought of that's similar is Things We Lost in the Fire. Right, yeah. The Holly mm. Berry movie, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember Terry, we saw it together in a theater, Terry. And your yeah, and your Wait, response. No, we didn't. Oh, we didn't. Okay. No, well. no, here's what happened. You want to know what happened that day? Here's yeah. what happened. I wanted to see it. I think you saw it without me. And but I was like, I want to go see it. And so I went and saw it, and you came with and went and saw something else while I saw <laughs> things we lost in the fire. That that sounds completely made up, but it totally if, isn't. If and it say- was and it was at, at the Lloyd Center Theater. Not the one across the street, but the one actually inside in of Lloyd Center. Oh, that's where I saw 40-Year-Old Virgin. It's like one of the only to- very few movies seen in that theater. The yeah. reason why I think that story is full of lies is because you told me after the movie that Benicio Del Toro was like a great rock guitarist who, when the concert ends, keeps playing the guitar. And I thought that was a great way to describe his performance in that movie. But see, so, I could have still done that you, I because guess you, you had seen the movie later. and we rode together to the theater. So, but I, is it okay? Is it is it better that I forgot the experience or I remembered your praise of Benicio del Toro? Because that was a great description of basically every Benicio del Toro. I, I think I think that's better because I don't remember saying that at all. There we go. And that that that's a pretty great description. Hey, you know what? One plus one is two. We we remember the experience cumulatively. It, it, it all added up. It all adds up. How did we get on this rant? I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know. You keep on bringing up the Angelina Jolie firefighter movie. <laughs> it's That's... a great movie. I mean, think of how many stupid, shitty movies we've reviewed, like the Genie movie. I still think about the Angelina Jolie firefighter movie. Awesome freaking movie. Deep diving it in four years. All right. Number four on my list. Um... I said that the uh, that the inspiration for this list was the fact that Black Adam came out this week, which finally made Dwayne Johnson a, a superhero or anti-hero, however you want to look at it. Uh, and then as I was putting together my list, Dwayne Johnson deserved to be on my list. And so he's my number four. Uh, a a uh, WWE star turned uh, biggest actor, like biggest blockbuster star of, in in all of Hollywood, you could say, I mean, he is one of the only people in Hollywood right now where you could say you could make a movie saying Dwayne Johnson starring in it and know it's going to make a hundred million dollars because it's a Dwayne Johnson movie. He, he's, he's the franchise resurrector. He did it with, with Fast and the Furious. He's done it with some other stuff. He's now in the DCEU with Black Adam. Uh, and, He's also a good actor when he's given the opportunity to actually show what he can do. He can do some great stuff. One of my favorite things that he did that nobody else really watched was Ballers, the HBO TV show. He was a retired uh, NFL player who turned into an agent. And uh, and he while he was dealing with some uh, some leftover symptoms from concussions and things like that, 
I, it, it was a great show. It was a funny show. He did some great stuff in it. <clears throat> By the way, also the first time I saw John David Washington, he played a receiver in that show. Uh, yeah, Dwayne Johnson. He's a he's a really good actor, and uh, and he's a he's a very successful actor. And uh, yeah, he started. Can you smell what the Rock is cooking? And now he's the biggest Hollywood star out there. So I don't think he's as successful as you bring it on. I don't think he has hundred million dollar movies. Like this was his biggest opening ever, and it was only like sixty or something. Like he's got a lot of thuds in there. He's got you know his like the the faster and snitch and the tooth fairy movies i don't know i well that that's back in the in the beginning of like well tooth fairy was what 2010 since since he started doing the fast and furious movies i don't know i feel like that that's kind of changed him around well, i don't think he's the biggest in the world that that's that's overstating it's it. one of the highest grossing highest paid highest paid maybe that makes sense I don't. I also would question how good of an actor he really is. Like, uh, I've only ever been really been impressed with him in Pain and Gain, but he was kind of playing a version of himself in that movie, to some degree. Like he's 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 a he's a prominent example, but I don't know again if if if, if that translated well in terms of quality. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I think I think he's better than a lot of than a lot of people give him credit for. I think he, and he just do doesn't it. get he do, just doesn't get many opportunities to show it. I think he needs to be paired with Quentin Depew. That might <laughs> help give him some acting chops. Maybe he'll, you know, watch a movie on you know. Wasn't he in the movie by the guy who did Donnie Darko? Oh yeah, the one that was uh, apparently a real big disaster. His follow up to Donnie Darko. What was Southland that? Tales. Seen? Yeah, Southland Tales. That's oh. right. Richard E. Kelly. Shout out. What's that guy doing? Yeah, I'm looking at what else he's got. Do you here. see Southland's Tales, Todd? I don't think I ever actually sat through it. I feel like that could be a come to the stable. That has some real come to the stable uh, appeal at this point. Except I think it's like two and a half hours. He had the Jumanji movies. Okay, he, he was had... okay in the Jumanji. Movies. His name yeah, is I mean, also not Richard E. Movie. Kelly. It's oh James Richard Kelly, but really? Richard E. Kelly, I'm... I think, is the author. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of Richard E. Grant. <laughs> Probably, Probably Academy, Academy Award nominee. Todd, number four. <laughs> My number four is uh, well, he's an Oscar-winning actor, but he started out as probably one of the biggest singer in the world. I have Frank Sinatra. Um, oh, that, that's a good classic. He was, yeah, nice. Uh, one of the, yeah, probably the biggest star in the world in the 1940s, and then he got into the films after that. He was an absolute A-lister. He won his Oscar for From Here to Eternity as like the drunken soldier and. Manchurian Candidate is, of course, absolutely classic star role. And I think we all liked uh, A Hole in the Head, just like the Safties did. Uh, we reviewed that for some reason. And um, I don't know. I only have him this low because I haven't seen a ton of his films. But uh, I think it's clear that he's as good an example of a singer-turned-actor that has ever existed. That that's a, that's a great call. I wish I'd thought of that one. He totally would have been on the list. A hole in the head. Hole yes, the, head. the inspiration for Uncut Gems. Let's see. Okay, was he was he a singer first and then an actor, or an actor first and then a singer? That, he that, was a singer. Or, he or, had number one hits in the forties. I looked it up. Okay. And then, okay. Came back there. That's fair then. All right, Zach, number four. 
Okay, I violated the rules a little bit for my number four pick, but you'll, you maybe violated you'll your rules for why. number five too. How was? But that was it. I said that was the director pick. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. cinematographer turned director, just so you could talk about you know what Bond. this this power ranking is like a Baz Luhrmann biopic. Okay, I'm taking creative liberties with it. All right, the history might not be the same. I might position myself as a civil your number rights four activist. is Tom Hanks in a fat suit, isn't it? Oh, I was really thinking about that, the <laughs> Colonel. Maybe with a bucket of chicken. No, my, my Tom Hanks four, in drag for bosom buddies. There we go. Uh, Tom that, Hanks as a hey, six-year-old boy. And Colin Coward Man. must love bosom buddies, right? That must <laughs> be his favorite TV show. Um, okay, so my number four does come from the world of TV, and it is the actor Barney Martin, who played Morty Seinfeld on Seinfeld, Jerry's father. And according to Wikipedia, he was an NYPD cop for 20 years. Now, again... This violates the idea that he had to be famous for his previous occupation. But I'm sure some people in New York knew him as a cop. And I think, like Michael Scott says, old people deserve dignity, okay? He became famous late in his life and uh, memorably played Morty Seinfeld. I, I was watching the, the one Seinfeld episode the other week when I had COVID when uh, Morty uh, is, uh, Jerry buys Morty a Cadillac but that looks bad to the condo board that he sits on at Del Boca Vista. So they force him to resign. And in classic Seinfeld fashion, they end with a parody of JFK, or not JFK, uh, the wrong episode, uh, Nixon. They, they render all, all of her stone parodies, I guess, with Morty giving the flashing the signal at the end. Anyway, I'm going Barney Martin. I, the guy was not known for anything else except for Morty Seinfeld. But being a police officer prior to being an actor is impressive, right? Did you guys come up with anyone who was a police officer before an actor? No, but he could have gone with Steve Buscemi, who was a firefighter before he was an actor. Well, he's on my honorable mentions. I mean, and that's pro but but he's not famous though, so he wouldn't be on Todd's list, right? Or anybody's list who understood the rules. I didn't understand. I obviously you did also not you also went with a one-off by going with. Uh, oh, he was in more than one episode. Let me tell you, he was in many <laughs> many episodes of Seinfeld. I mean, the the all right. So the one you bring up Seinfeld brought up something that I was thinking about uh, whether or not. I, you could go with and that was a uh, stand-up comedian turned well, actor wait yeah, like, like, like Terry wait until we'll see the rest of this list okay all right well we'll go we'll go number uh my number three and for my number three this is all right this might be be stretching it the most but i think it works uh my number three was a uh was a ballet dancer in New York City turned uh, model turned actress, and that's Charlize Theron. I mean, if you're is going to if you're going to get on me for Barney Martin, how is Charlize Theron famous before she was an actor? I mean, going she was she was a model. I, I that's that's I I think I, maybe she not wasn't... known for being a model, but she was a she was a model before she was an actress. Uh, so I thought I'd go with it. The other oh, one really? I was thinking of going with here was was uh, I thought about going with Lady Gaga. I was trying to find a spot to put an actress. That's in. Be that's better. It is a better pick. All right, I'll just switch to Lady Gaga then, because she fits the category a little better. So Lady Gaga, yeah, singer, and I think she has done. I think it feels like every or a lot of pop stars try to become actors. And I feel like she has done the best job of 
truly having like an actor persona apart from the music and and has really leaned into it. I mean, she's got an Oscar nomination for acting. She almost had another one last year. Um, yeah, Lady Gaga. She's pretty great. She's pretty great. And I can see her continuing to do great things, too. So who was more known, Lady Gaga or Charlize Theron prior to the oh, Lady fame? Gaga, for sure. So, okay. Just so we're clear. Yeah. yeah. Well, but by Zach's rationale, like, some people knew may have known him <laughs> as a cop. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that someone was like a bag of groceries. You know, some people well, knew him as that, too. And see, I think what's also interesting is Lady Gaga, okay, fine. She was a great pop star, but maybe Charlize Theron had a more interesting life. Did you guys know that Charlize Theron's mom shot and killed her father? Yep. I just read that the other day. That was fascinating. So I feel like if we're going to make a biopic, I'd almost rather see the Charlize Theron biopic than some, uh, the Lady Gaga Some biopic. people might have known him as a cop, but Charlize Theron starred in Swan Lake on New at the New York City Ballet, and that's not famous enough for him. So. There we go. Did Aaron Sorkin fuck that up, too? Ankle or yeah, something she, yeah, she, she screwed up her knee. It, it, it's a Kate Blanchett, uh, Benjamin Button storyline to a T. Oh. She, she, uh, she screwed up her her knee and uh, couldn't dance anymore, and then she became an actress. I think I learned about that on Hot Ones. <laughs> I, I learned about that on uh, Inside the Actors Studio mm. back in the day, where she also talked about how uh, how she uh, how her mother killed her father. Anyways. Thought number three. Oh, lovely. My number three is a the stand-up comedian turned actor. I there we with, go. I went with Eddie Murphy. Um, another Oscar oh, nominee yeah. who because of his stand-up, his energy and voice, he directly got him cast in like 48 hours and trading places. And Beverly Hills cop made him an absolute box office star. Um, and then yeah, he was also making music at that time, too. He had a one-hit wonder in the mid-'80s. Uh, but then he made his bad family movies and stuff and endless Shrek sequels and all that. But, I mean, Nutty Professor, he's got Bowfinger, and then his resurgence with Doll Mind is My Name and, of course, nominated for Dreamgirls. I, th I think uh, in terms of stand-up comedians, I, a true stand-up comedians, I think he is probably the best actor that's ever come up with yeah, I was trying to come up with a good one, and that was the one I was trying to think of. And I just never, never found it. So, well done. Well done. It's going to be interesting if we have zero overlap. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the, right. the, this is a pretty narrow category. So I, I thought so, too. All right, Zach, number three. All right, uh, my number three is uh, Bruce Lee who started out as oh, a very influential, famous uh, martial art uh, instructor and fighter. And I would say, I mean, I don't know that much about Bruce Lee's life. I should know more. Maybe I know more than Quentin Tarantino does, but uh, I would assume he was pretty well known, certainly in the martial arts circuit in the 1960s when he rose to fame. And then later on made uh, the greatest uh, martial arts movie of all time, um, Enter the Dragon. So screw you, Todd. I think this is actually a legitimate pick. I'm pulling out of my ass, possibly. Bruce Lee, famous for multiple things, but probably better known as an actor, but famous probably before as an actor, too. Yeah, I mean, I'll allow it. It's not one I that think, I would have thought I think it of. works. It yeah, works. exactly. Is it sad that Bruce Lee is now known as the guy that uh, uh, Brad Pitt beat up? 
don't think, think anybody, anybody knows know- him as that. Yeah, no one knows him as that. <laughs> well, played by a friend of the podcast, Mike Moe. It's Todd once called him my boy, Mike Moe. Did I did I say that? I think so. <laughs> Sounds like something I would say. <laughs> it's Mike Moe, a previous uh, occupation turned actor. I feel like he must be. Let me, let me do probably, some half internet research. All right. Well, if we need to be half-assed, we can count on you to do it. Uh, <laughs> nice. Burn! You put I'm that coming. in one of our like <laughs> intro things in our. <laughs> well, we need, we need half ass. We know you're good at it. <laughs> but see, listen, like, okay, here's the problem. It was so much more entertaining talking about Morty Seinfeld and Jan de Bont than an actual person who fit the criteria of this list. So, you know, I understand digressing. It's fun to digress, right? Uh, yes. Yes. All right. Number two for me, uh, we are going to uh, the guy who is on screen behind me. Well, not at that exact moment, but he is frequently today. Uh, he was an underwear model turned uh, pop superstar uh, turned Dirk Diggler. He is Mark Wahlberg, a.k.a. Marky Mark. And the Funky Bunch, um, he might have had the more the most interesting like became one thing and became famous for it, and then turned into something completely different uh, in his acting career, and especially you know kind of breaking in as in Boogie Nights and Three Kings, and and doing these these movies that you wouldn't necessarily expect uh, expect from a pop star. Or an underwear model. I guess you would expect that from Boogie Nights, but not that type of movie. Uh, and now he's a two-time Oscar nominee, once for producing, once for acting. And it's funny, he kind of went from being this being one thing to working to be taken seriously as an actor to being taken seriously enough as an actor to get an Oscar nomination to now becoming like a caricature of himself at times in, in some of the stuff he does now. And he's kind of thought not to be taken too seriously anymore, which is kind of sad because he still puts out some decent stuff. I, I know I liked Joe Bell last year. I know, Todd, you you didn't like it. Uh, but he uh, I liked Uncharted this year. I thought that was pretty good. Um, he you know what you're getting when it's a Mark Wahlberg movie. And, uh, and I like that. So. Number two, Mark Wahlberg. So you have Mark Wahlberg and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. On your same list. So is Anthony Mackie going to be your number one? Can we make this a true pain and gain list? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> should. I, I, I should. I didn't think about that, but, you know, I probably could. All right. Todd, number two. Uh, so my number two is uh, it's Justin Timberlake. What? Uh, oh, uh, I Oscar, forgot about him. Oscar nominee Justin Timberlake. Uh, he was obviously <laughs> one of those. One of the most famous people on the planet when he was in Insane. He's his his casting. I think in Alpha Dog when we deep dive that dove that I I mean I think it changed the way everyone thought of who he was and who he could be. And then he started making hip hop music. He got the what Black Snake Moan after that. And I really loved what he was doing about ten years ago. He had Bad Teacher. He had 
that uh, movie In Time by Andrew Nichol, which I think is really underrated. He had Trouble with the Curve, Inside Lewin Davis, and of course, The Social Network nearly got him an Oscar nomination for acting. And um, he's done a fair amount of voice acting as well. He got his nomination for writing the Trolls song. But uh, I think Justin Timberlake is a great actor. And when he wants to do it, you could, you could also look at his uh, his uh, Lonely Island starring uh, uh, co-starring roles. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, Justin Timberlake, screw it. Nice. I thought you said Justin Bieber. I'm sorry. Oh, that's that was my reaction. No, Justin Timberlake's a great pick. Justin Bieber would have been a horrible pick. Yeah, why? Well, I, I don't even. Does he Agreed. act? <laughs> that would have been a horrible pick. All right, Zach, number two. Okay, number two. Uh, again, I've been I've been trying to go on this list uh, and, and maybe changing it around a little bit because again, he's not wasn't particularly famous prior to being an actor, but definitely had uh, a different occupation in his life, which was criminal. Um, and is someone that we see every time we go to Regal Cinemas, and that is none other than Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo, <laughs> in case you don't know, has a very interesting life uh, story. Um, at age seven, according to Wikipedia, he participated in his first uh, drug deal, and he was arrested at the age of 10 and spent um, much of his life uh, in prison. Um, and when he was finally released from prison, um, he became uh, a uh, like a stunt person on set and would kind of get these side gigs. Apparently, he was in um, the great movie Runaway Train, which is awesome. I don't remember him in that movie. Do you remember him in that, Todd? That's an awesome movie with the man Eric Roberts and John Boyd. I don't Boyd. remember Trejo in that, no. But I think that was, according to Wikipedia, that was where he kind of got his start. And obviously, you know, long and legendary career since then, uh, great association with Robert Rodriguez. And uh, I guess he was in Clerks 3. Is that right? Um, and he was also in uh, the Regal trailer. So, uh, again, I, I, I took this list a little bit differently. If you're talking to the prison population in California, he was probably better known as a prisoner than a film star. But made a turnaround in his life and uh, has talked about it quite a bit. Very cool guy to listen to. Uh, great actor, Danny Trejo. Also someone that we should be recasting more often in our uh, recasting movies. Would make a great uh, Carrie Elwes character in Liar Liar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now I know he wasn't famous, but at least that's not bad, right? I mean, that guy definitely had a different like occupation, I guess prior to his acting career. Mm -hmm. Did you think about criminals who became actors? Because Tim Allen also appeared. On, I, I thought about listing him, too. True. Well, he also would have fit into the stand-up comedian, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. And was famous also a drug for runner, But, you know, also happened to be a comedian. Well, yeah. All that stuff happened before he became a comedian and all that stuff. So, All right. Number one on my list haven't really done much with movies and I hope that that they do more this is my my director pick and uh, it is a fashion designer turned writer director I'm going with Tom Ooh. Ford as my number oh, one nice because I mean he's only made two films so far a single man and nocturnal animals uh, but he's shown in what he's done that no one else really <sighs> does what he does like he's kind of created his own style 
that nobody else has has even tried to emulate and uh his his artistic side in his in his fashion designing side is really influencing how he makes his movies and the choices he makes in in them and i think it it makes for really interesting stuff i actually haven't seen a single man yet but i've heard great things i love nocturnal animals and so as i was thinking about directors that could go on this list tom ford was the first one i thought of and as i thought about it i think he he might be the best example of of this of being known as one thing and then turning it into something completely different. So he's my number one. That's not one I thought of, but that is a really good choice. Oh, right. Like oh, right. Everyone God. wears his suits. When, whenever exactly. the people that were in his movies, they're like Colin Firth always wears Tom Ford suits on the red carpet now. Um, yeah. I, I, I looked at uh, it, most known for on IMDb directing a single man directing nocturnal animals costume and wardrobe on quantum of solace and playing himself in zoolander so that's nice. that's, that's nice. what he's most known for all right todd number one uh my number one is also a director he started out with a huge hard rock band it is uh rob zombie uh ah. started out with white zombie and then his own solo band rob zombie uh and he's a stellar director. His movies are way more just artful than you would expect from a heavy metal frontman. And um, his genre of choice is horror. Is not my genre of choice, but he's so good that I still want to see everything he does. I haven't seen the monsters yet, but that looks like a step out for him. Um, the Devil's Rejects and his Halloween interpretation, I think, are great. He had that animated movie where Paul Giamatti played the devil, and uh, of course, Werewolf Woman of the SS, which is would have been a masterpiece and is a masterpiece of about 30 seconds. And um, once we open this up to directors, it had to be rock zombie. Very nice. Very nice. I like that pick. Great pick. Thank you. Zach, number one. All right. My number one is a uh, six way tie. And I'm just going to read off. uh, And I think you'll sense where I'm going. Once I start reading this, it is a six way tie between Mike Francesa Kevin Garnett, Wayne Diamond, John Amos, a.k.a. the guy from Good Time, and The Weeknd. Um, and I think we could also go with Julia Fox because she was a socialite. And, uh, yeah, they are not people known for acting. I guess John Amos was known for acting, but now he lives in an apartment. And uh, they are um, people that made great acting debuts in uncut gems uh so there we go now if we want to go serious okay go adam sandler because you know he's the sandman and he was a comedian before he was an actor but i like my six-way tie better like the six-way parlay that hits my six-way parlay also hit and uh yeah great great performers great actors all of them I follow I like Wayne Diamond on Instagram. I don't know if you got you guys. I don't think you guys are on Instagram. <laughs> Wayne Diamond, first of all, he's probably my favorite social media follow of all of the social media platforms. Great. Um, he he is the high roller. He lives his life as the high roller, and he's been married to his wife for forty years. And uh, they were celebrating their anniversary, and I retweeted out "Happy fortieth anniversary, Mr. and Mrs. High Roller." Um, heroes in my book. Beautiful. I'll allow it because that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. All right. 
Well, let's go five to one and then talk about some honorable mentions here. Uh, for me, number five, Bubba Smith. Number four, Dwayne Johnson. Number three, Lady Gaga. Number two, Mark Wahlberg. Number one, Tom Ford. Todd. Number five, Gina Carano. Number four, Frank Sinatra. Number three, Eddie Murphy. Number two, Justin Timberlake, not Justin Bieber. And number one is Rob Zombie. Zach. Uh, number five is Jan DeBont. Number four is Barney Martin, a.k.a. the police officer in New York City. Famous for that. Uh, number three, uh, Bruce Lee. Number two, Danny Trejo. And number one, a six-way tie between Mike Francesa, KG, Wayne Diamond, the high roller, John Amos, The Weeknd, and Julia Fox. And I think we can also add in Doc Rivers' voice. <laughs> All right. Here's, here's what's hilarious. None of those were even in my honorable mentions. <laughs> I wonder why. Because they're all stupid. Well, well no, not not even not even Todd's. I like all right. So my honorable mentions. Uh let's get into this now. I've got I've got a a, a, a good group here. Um well Charlie Theron, since I was told I couldn't pick her originally. Uh if you're talking Mark Wahlberg, you gotta talk about Donnie Wahlberg from New Kids on the Block. Um I mean, is Harry Styles a good actor? I don't know what? yet, but it definitely he definitely qualifies for this list. Uh, if you're talking Dwayne Johnson, his little brother obviously has to be John Cena, uh, who I think is, is an interesting one here. Uh, one of the first ones I thought of when I was thinking of this was uh, Most Deaf, a.k.a. Yassim mm, Bey. Nice. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And... Uh, and the the I've got a couple more here, but the last actor I have, Trish, Reba McIntyre. <laughs> we, we got we yes. got to mention Reba here. I've got one other director that I thought of, and that's Julian Schnabel, who was an artist mm. turned director. And then if we open it up a little more to just filmmakers, like people in the film industry in general, um, another great example of converted into filmmaking is Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Uh, who went from being Radiohead to turning into some of the best uh, film composers we have right now. So that was my honorable mentions. It would have been on my list if we could go beyond actors and directors. It's uh, Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails. No, well, who was Radiohead? There was someone else that's around that did Radiohead, isn't it? Uh, oh, is that the guy who does like uh, the music on for... Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, Johnny Greenwood. Oh, yeah, I think Johnny Greenwood's Radiohead. Okay. I got that mixed up. So Nine Inch Nails for those two. All right. Todd, honorable mentions. Uh, Yeah, the, you got the the rappers. I'm surprised Sarah didn't mention Ludacris. Um, oh, of course. Uh, yeah, most stuff I had, Ice Cube and uh, the RZA. Uh, of course, he's director and an actor now. Um, Jerry Seinfeld I have as a stand-up comedian. Burt Reynolds was uh, was an athlete. Mark Mark Wahlberg, of course. Jason Statham was also um, like a boxer, I think, before um, becoming an actor. And Barbara Streisand was obviously a singer. Oh yeah, I don't know I, yeah. why she didn't really come up. Uh, if we're gonna mention uh, who'd you have that was a boxer, Jason Statham? Yeah. Then you gotta also mention judo champ uh, uh, Tom Hardy, who apparently won a judo competition like a month ago. He just randomly you know, uh, entered his name into one and won. So that's impressive. Yeah. 
yeah, so Tom Hardy has to has to join that that list too. All right, Zach. Uh, I went with Jennifer Lopez, Bill Burr, um, oh, Jerry Jerry Seinfeld, Doctor Hying S. Noor, Academy Award winner for supporting actor from 1994 or 84, excuse me, because he was an actor in Cam uh, a doctor in Cambodia. Um, Harold Russell, best supporting actor, 1946. The guy lost his arms because apparently he was a, a soldier. Um, Jerry Seinfeld, I also said. Uh, Tony from the Up series started as a cab driver, became an actor. Oh, good call. Good call. That should have been in your top five. Probably. If if the stupid <laughs> Seinfeld guy was in your top five, that, that spot should have been Tony. From Are we going to watch series. Tony's movie? About the soccer team? We need to find it. We need to make this happen. I also wrote down Todd Field, Tupac, P. Diddy, uh, Hero of the SS, Frederick Zoller, um, played by Daniel Bruhl, uh, Maris Villanis, <laughs> Jimmy from uh, Hoosiers, and of course the other guy from Hoosiers who we watched in Undercover, the Jennifer Jason Lee movie. I can't remember that actor's name. Um, my uncle Jerry, who started out as a truck driver before he became an art critic and the, the inspiration for the Jake Gyllenhaal movie, James Cameron, who was also a truck driver. And finally, Rance and Gene Howard. I'm not sure what they did before they were actors, but, um, they were in a lot of movies. Stage I guess you could parents? also, uh, yeah, you could also <laughs> maybe go with Catherine Scorsese. So why'd you say Todd Field? Well, because he was an actor before a director. He doesn't act anymore. Um, I, whatever. <laughs> I just wanted to mention Todd Field. He's been in the news. You know, he has a movie out that you guys haven't seen yet, but you should. All right. It is now time. Guessing Adam's list. Here we go. Here's my, my picks for Adam's list. Number five, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Number four, Lady Gaga. Number three, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, number two, Mark Wahlberg. Number one, Harrison Ford, who was a carpenter before he became an actor. So I'm gonna say his number one. He met. He messed up the rules. Okay. He's probably in the honorable mentions. Uh, number <laughs> five, I have Eddie Murphy. Number four, Dave Bautista. Number three, Lady Gaga. Number two, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And number one, Mark Wahlberg. We have a lot of the same ones. We have a lot of overlap <laughs> here. It all comes down to Harrison Ford. Zach, what do you have? Number five, Hulk Hogan. Number four, Steven Seagal. Number three, Jennifer Lopez. Number two, Harrison Ford. And number one, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's going to have Dave Bautista on his list, right? All right. We shall see. Here we go. Honorable mentions. Uh, Carl Weathers. Oh, was nice. football player. I don't know how we didn't mention that one. Andre 3000. Uh, James Cameron, who was a janitor and a truck driver. There we go. Uh, Terry Crews, who was a football player. And uh, Mario from Super Mario Brothers, who was known as a plumber before taking down Bowser. <laughs> yes. See, There's Adam understands the spirits of a uh, spirit of this list. <laughs> Number five, Channing Tatum, stripper model. Yeah, clearly he doesn't understand this list. That, that was the one we said that violated the spirit of this list, right? Yeah, yeah kind of. Number four, Donald Glover who was a rapper before he became an actor and a stand-up comedian and a stand-up comedian. Uh, number three, Tim Burton, who was an animator before he became a director, he says. Okay. 
Number two, Dave Bautista. Number one, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nice. So I got two. But I got his I got, number one. I got one. You got his number one, but you only got one, right? I did mention James Cameron. You did mention, but Todd actually got two. Okay, so I'm he at, got Bautista and Schwarzenegger. So we're, so putting, we're saying two is better than number one. Two, yeah, yeah. Position okay. only counts. Only counts for a tiebreaker. Okay. It is well, usually what we'd say, right, Todd? Yeah. Yeah. Unless we want to give Terry more points, because he's right behind. <laughs> <laughs> so Todd wins. I, I'm uh, now at 44. Zach is at 28, and Terry is right behind at 27. Man. Okay. There we go. Did he have moving Dave- on? What did you put? Did you predict Dave Bautista on his list, Todd? Yeah, yeah. I have okay. it as number four. Okay, that's pretty impressive. I, I wouldn't have thought of Dave Bautista. He was going to have a professional wrestler. It wasn't going to be Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I thought about I thought about mentioning Mr. T, like he was worth mentioning for Clubber Lang and the A Team. But all right, trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Like I already said, I did not get an opportunity to watch my assigned movie. I will try and record on it next week. But until then, Zach, tell us what you had to watch. So I did not have to watch Animal Kingdom. I watched instead Wall Street, uh, the 1987 classic. We've been doing a lot of 87 movies on this podcast, except we don't deep dive any of them because 87 is a shitty year. Um, And interesting list i wonder this would be an interesting trivia category it had its only nomination was for michael douglas for best actor and it won how many other movies can you think of first of all that won their only nomination period but let alone an acting nomination it's kind the of last king of scotland yeah it's not a bad one Ooh. but still I, alice no i think that was nominated for something else i thought because that was the first one i thought of too okay but anyway Long story short, Wall Street. Yeah, so Todd loves this movie because, you know, we all know Todd Todd loves Wall Street movies. This is the movie. Didn't they watch this movie in uh, 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 Boiler Room? The Boiler Room. Yeah, Yeah. and they quote it with it when, like, when they're like, I'm going to have your lunch for you or whatever he says. Yeah, exactly. Uh, This is Oliver Stone's follow-up to uh, his Academy Award-winning Platoon, and it's somewhat based on his father's life, I believe. I think the movie's dedicated to his father at the end of the movie. Um, Anyway, it's uh, Charlie Sheen uh, stars as uh, Bud Fox. Um, No relation to Julia, as far as I know. It's kind of interesting that Michael Douglas won Best Actor for this movie uh, because he's really, I think, more of a supporting actor in this movie. Charlie Sheen has way more screen time than him. And it kind of made me think there's like a string of Best Actor performances from like the mid 80s to the mid 90s where the main, the Best Actor winner was really more of a supporting character. So I wrote down Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs you could go with. You could almost go with Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man, even though he's not, he's not the main character in the movie. Um, you could certainly go with F. Murray Abraham and Amadeus. Al Pacino. And, and you could certainly go with Al Pacino as well. Anyway, um, and I think Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't have a ton of as much screen time as you would think in my left foot because he has a younger actor playing that role. Anyway, uh, Wall Street. Uh, I'll just get straight to the point. I, I did not love this movie. I thought it was kind of dated and corny. Um, it's a little rough when... One of the, you know, a, a big plot point in the movie is a stock going up by three points at the end of the day. 
Okay, that just has not aged well. I mean, the stock market has obviously changed. And so it's a little bit laughable in that sense. Um, you know, the famous scene in the movie is when Gordon Gecko gives the speech about greed is good. And that's a good moment. But it's also kind of worth noting that he gives that speech. Do you know where, Todd? Like, where he gives it? Yeah, yeah. Like what, what venue is he at when he gives it? Because it's... Oh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. No one remembers because that's a lame plot he gives it at a paper company okay and if we learn anything from the office we know that paper is not exactly a good futures market to be in um the plot of this movie is very silly it's really screenwriting 101 basically what it evolves into is charlie sheen you know he's basically the leonardo dicaprio character in wolf of wall street he comes in all wide-eyed and and uh you know naive um, and he's a blue collar guy, just like Jordan Belfort is in Wolf of Wall Street. And he has to choose his loyalties. Who's his daddy going to be? Is it going to be his blood relative daddy, who's a hardworking blue collar guy at an airline played by Martin Sheen? Or is it going to be his daddy on Wall Street, which is Gordon Gecko, master of the universe? Um, very, very kind of silly stuff. It was also distracting in this movie that Daryl Hannah played his love interest. And the reason is not so much that she gives a bad performance, but she's dating she a does. guy she's well it was a razzie nominated performance interestingly enough she's dating uh the charlie sheen character and so when she says bud i kept on saying i kept on expecting bud to say wrong brother you hateful bitch uh which he did not there was no uh, tori hanzo sword anywhere which was a big disappointment and sadly there was no mixed drink there was no black mama put in the suitcase come on daryl hannah i need to see more from this performance in your interaction with bud anyway um Two stars. I don't know. It, it's dated, man. I mean, I encourage, I, you know, Todd, you should watch this movie again. There have been so many better movies about Wall Street. This movie looks dull in comparison. So it's, I know it's, it's not really fair. It's loading the gun. Interestingly enough, Wolf of Wall Street is also on Amazon Prime. And I watched the first 45 minutes of that movie, which I also didn't love. It was pre-podcast pre day. We would have had a big disagreement about it. And man, is that movie so much better. I, by comparison, that movie is like alive. It's energetic. It's much more interesting. This movie's pretty dull and the plot is silly. And I'm not sure. And I don't think anyone remembers it outside of the Michael Douglas speech. And I think for a reason. I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of affection for like these really 80s movies. And this is this is definitely one of them. I love I love the suits in it. I love and I actually did have Daryl Hannah. I remember I had her as the worst performance in four star mo in four star movies. Oh, nice. That, that was my number one because she's <laughs> absolutely atrocious in that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's a I always found it as a really interesting movie to win best actor because I don't think that Michael Douglas really does anything that's different from in his normal persona at all. But uh, he but he is really good. And I think it's a really sharp screenplay. But I mean, it has probably has been a few years since I, I watched it. I and then I then the sequel I, I, is pretty good as well, but not as not as great as the as the original. But I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes sense that you give it two stars. But I was hoping that you would see something. I love Wall Street movies, like you said. Yeah, I mean, and Margin Call is a great movie. Boiler Room's a great movie. There's just Arbitrage. We don't talk about that movie enough, but that's a really cool movie. Uh, there's just so many better choices, I think. Um, this one was funny unintentionally because of the eighties. It's interesting. It's the third eighties wall street movie I've seen recently. The other two were working girl, which this movie was about on the same level as, and, uh, uh, tw tw uh nine and a half weeks, which wasn't really about wall street, but even in its five minutes of Mickey work explaining his job was, I thought more knowledgeable and insightful than either of those movies. 
And um, it also had an appearance of Bob from Speed, uh, Bob the bus driver who's killed in the first bus explosion. He plays one of the airline workers at Martin Sheen's airline. Fa Do you even remember the Martin Sheen plot from this movie? I mean, God damn, that is that's some lame shit right there, man. Like, I don't know. It felt like Oliver Stone really um, did not spend a whole lot of time. To, I don't know. Is Oliver Stone a great writer is, I think, a, a good question that we can ask. But like this is not, you know, one of his great, great outings. I think this was in the period. I wish he could have infused. I wish this could have been 90s Oliver Stone. So he could have thrown in some like animation or some uh, drug sequences in it. Like it felt like this was five years too early. We needed some Val Kilmer and Woody Harrelson explosions and Rodney Dangerfield screaming at his son or something. I, I we needed more. We needed more Tarantino in this movie. I think. Okay. Oh, well. But when I when I look forward to getting assigned Animal Kingdom because you know that's been on my list for a while and obviously it's a movie that you're quite fond of as well. All right, all right, all right. Let's get to trivia time. Todd, you're hosting. Take it away. Uh, we're gonna go to something we haven't done in a while, and if we do that, I think I'm going to have to kick <coughs> one of you off for a minute. So oh. we'll start with Terry. So oh, Zach right. leaving. Okay. No, Zach. Okay. Zach's leaving. Yeah. Oh, Zach's leaving. Okay. So I'm staying. Yeah. Zach's gone. Okay, we're gonna do something. I think Zach actually originated this. Uh, we're looking at the previous year's Oscar winners, and we're going to try to see if you know where they were born and when. So. Oh man. Okay. Uh, so we are going to start with uh, Jessica Chastain. Um, see the Oscar winner for Best Actress. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to give a point to whoever. If you get the right year, I'll give you a point. And then whoever's right overall, I'll give another point. And if and then whoever's closer on the 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 city. Okay. So I gotta give I gotta give the year she was born and then the city she was born in. Yeah. Okay. Or, or I mean, you could, yeah, the yeah, the, the year is fine. I guess we won't worry about the date. I guess. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say she's like around. I'm gonna say she's like forty-two-ish. So I'm gonna say she was born nineteen eighty. Okay. And then, oh, so, and, and then. I mean, then, well, I mean, you're, you're, that's not correct, but I'll, okay. I'll, if you're closer, then I'll give sure. you one. And I'll, then, uh, and uh, I'm going to say she was, do I have to give a, give city state or just. Uh, well, I mean, we'll the, go sit, yeah, sit. All right. So I'll city. say, uh, I'll say she was born in Abilene, Texas. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave this all to. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to have to. Some of it I'll be able to know, <laughs> but I'll, I'll have to Google it if it's close. Yep. Okay, the next is, of course, uh, Will Smith. Will Smith. Well, obviously, he was born in Philadelphia. Born and correct. raised on the playground he would, where he spent most of his days. Um, and I'm going to say he was born... Um, say... 1969. Okay. Pretty close. Um, Ariana DeBose. 
Ariana DeBose. Let's say she was born in Brooklyn in 1987. Okay. That's Troy, too, Ka- Troy that's Yeah, I got I got the year wrong on that one. Can't change the year. <laughs> if you want to. Um she's younger than that. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna say ninety-one. I'm gonna change my year to ninety. Yeah, that, that's the correct year. Okay. Uh Troy Kotzer. I'm gonna say he was born in nineteen sixty-five. And he was born in Detroit. Okay. Do you, do you want to go with a few more? Sure. Okay, Jane Campion. Jane Campion. I mean, can I just say New Zealand or do I have to give a city? Yeah, you got to give a city. Uh, Wellington. That is correct. And I'm going to say she was born in 1961. Okay. Uh, Sean Heater, the uh, best adapted screenplay winner from CODA. I know nothing about this person. I'm going to say born in New Orleans. I don't even know what this person looks like. You, she gave a speech. <laughs> I realize that. I don't remember it at all. Uh, I, 1975. Okay. And Kenneth Brana. Kenneth Brana. Uh, Kenneth Brana was born in Belfast, I'm going to say. That is correct. <laughs> Good call. And uh, he was born in 1964. Okay, so you have four points for sure. Zach can come back now. Zach is back. We're coming back. Zach is back. Zach, we are doing a category that you originated years ago, and we haven't done it in a while. So we are looking at the previous year's Oscar winners and uh, their birth year and birth city. Nice. All right. So... Uh, Terry got four correct answers, uh, and whoever's closer on the rest of them, we will even out, and we'll someone will well, get he, points. If he gets, if he gets those right on too, he he uh, gets yeah, you get too. yeah, you get the point. Yeah, we all know that Will Smith was born in West Philadelphia. <clears throat> that born is one race. correct answer. Okay, uh, so we will start, I guess, with Will Smith. Then that's fine. <laughs> Am I so, supposed to give the year too? Yes, yeah, year. Let's go uh, 1967. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Terry said 1969. The answer is 1968. There we go. Um, I let's think we go. Both get a half p- point then. Either you both get a half point or you could try to pick the date. Uh, oh, um, we're picking the date. Okay. Obviously. <laughs> okay. Pick the date then. I'm going February 27th. July 10th. 
Uh, Terry is closer. It was uh, September 25th. Ah, it so, really seemed like a February birthday. I got to say, those are the people <laughs> that are the most pugnacious. Uh, okay. The next one is Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain, uh, where she was born, where she was born and when, and what year, and she, was what born. year she was born. Um, I'm going to say she was born in Garden City, New Jersey in 1978. Okay, uh, you both get a point. Uh, it was 1977, Terry said 1980. And uh, Terry said Abilene, Texas, and she was born in Sacramento. So, oh, Terry, Terry gets a point. So, you, you, I mean, it would be hard for you to get any further off on that one, Zach. <laughs> I um, could have said, like, Maine. <laughs> yeah, that's a little true. further away. I remember last time we did this, it was Joaquin Phoenix. He was born in Puerto Rico. And it was something. It was really weird. Um, uh, Ariana DeBose. Whew. Okay. Uh, Ariana DeBose. I'm going to say 1993. And I'm going to go uh, Miami. Okay, um, Terry got the the year correct. It was 1991. And uh, Terry said Brooklyn. Uh, Zach said Miami. She was born in Raleigh, North Carolina. So Zach is closer. Yeah, Zach gets that one. So we have a score now of six to three confirmed kills for Terry. Um, or points. Yes, um, number, uh, we are going now with Troy Kotzer. Uh, Brookline, Massachusetts, 1952. That was really quick and very off on both of them. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, he was born. Well, okay. Well, Terry said 1965. The answer was 1968. <laughs> so Terry is definitely closer by about 10 years or whatever. And uh, you Terry should said, lose points in this game if you get a really bad answer. Terry said Detroit. Zach said Brookline, Massachusetts. He was born in Mesa, Arizona. I'm, assu- uh, I'm assuming Detroit's closer. You know, I I think he even referenced that in his Oscar speech, if I remember correctly. I think he mentioned Mesa, Arizona. That's interesting. Okay. The next one is Jane Campion. Uh, okay. Well, Jane Campion, I'm going to say she was born in uh, 19... 19- nineteen fifty five in Wellington, New Zealand. Okay, Wellington is correct. Terry also got that correct. And you are also way closer on the year. Terry said nineteen sixty one. It and it is nineteen uh fifty four. And so Zach, you were Ooh. one year off. I don't know how your scoring system works. Do you get like extra points if you get it exactly right? No. Okay. I, I mean, it, I mean, it, I think it would even itself out kind of anyway. Uh, the next one is Sean Heater, the best adapted screenplay winner for Coda. Okay, uh, I'm going to go 1973, and I'm going to go Joplin, Missouri. Um. Okay. Terry said 1975, New Orleans. Uh, the 
she was born in 1977, so Terry gets one of those points. And she was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So Zach so, gets that point. I'm a little closer. Yeah, Zach is a little closer. So uh, now we have the last one. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, best original screenplay winner. Well, how is he not from Belfast? <laughs> that That's is what I answer. said. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, 1957. Okay, Terry said 1964. It is 19... Wait, yeah, 19... yeah, it's 1960, so Zach gets another point there. <gasps> but those two points do not quite matter because Terry wins 9 to 8. Nice. A very respectful showing. You guys got the same answers a few times, which is good. Terry would have lost if I would have made him stick with, or he would have tied. I would have made him stick with his uh, original Ariana Bose answer. What was yeah, his original answer? 87. And then I was like, wait, no, that's really wrong. Can I change that? And then yeah, I, I think it was the whole thing that she was like the first acting winner born in the 90s or something. I don't know. All right. Maybe. Hey, I won. I get to sign you guys stuff to watch. Cool. All right. I feel like we should assign you the movies that you were supposed to watch this week. Well, Can you I'm assign gonna, yourself I'm gonna those? I'm going to try and watch those anyways. All right. It is time for quote of the day. Let's wrap this up. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. I won, so I get to go first. And uh, I... I this was one of those where I was going to come up with my quote as we were going along. And I did come up with my quote. It is from one of my honorable mention converted actors. And I was expecting to lose trivia. So this was going to work really well because my quote is from most deaf from the Italian job. I had a bad experience, but then I won. So I didn't have a bad experience, but it's still a great quote. Nice. I'm deaf. Yeah, we're definitely deep diving that next year. We got to. We've got to. All right, Zach. Okay, I'm going to go with a quote from uh, Danny Trejo's autobiography, My Life of Crime, Redemption, in Hollywood, where he said, My dad and I were two of the angriest, most pent up, rage filled motherfuckers to ever dip cookies in glasses of milk. And that's the way I feel about this podcast. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Todd, take a My song. quote is uh, from Rob Zombie. He says, I just really do what I like. I don't understand what the general public likes sometimes. And that is the basis of this podcast. That's fair. That's fair. Shout out to the Philadelphia Phillies for uh, representing the National League in the World Series. We're, we're pulling for you on this podcast because we don't support cheaters. And, uh, you know, you, 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 there's, there's three ways to, to victory. You can either be first, you can be smarter, or you can cheat. We don't cheat on here. So we're going to be first in celebrating the Philadelphia Phillies, future World Series champions, and uh, somewhere Bradley Cooper is smiling. And with and, that, and Robert and, De Niro. And Todd shaking his Good head juju. in disgust. We are going to draw this podcast to an end. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. 
despite your crass behavior. I'm glad we were able to do this together. Ah, uh, that was fun. Well, if we need to be half-assed, we can count on you to do it. <laughs>